Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. And we're back talking about food again. I love it when we talk about food. Makes me hungry. I know. And well, maybe today's topic won't make you hungry. I know, but I still like talking about food. Me too. And it's, can you believe it? It's our first episode. We talk about food is public health 40 episodes back. Wow. That's, I can't believe it's a lot of time for folks to stick around with us. I know. I can't believe we've done this for so long. But anyway, so we're going to talk about food today. And when you're building any arguments, either in debate or in philosophy, there are underlying assumptions that you need to establish first, right? So the assumption that we need to establish first before we can proceed is not having enough food to eat is not good for you. Can we both agree on this? Yes, I would agree that not having enough food is not good for you. But I would add perhaps a friendly amendment, which is not having enough nutrient rich food is not good for you, right? Because the quality yeah. of the food is important. If you have enough, enough in air quotes, food to sort of make you not feel hungry, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't actually hungry. Yeah. And that's something we'll discuss a little bit today as well, because calories and nutrition are two completely separate things. So today's topic is food insecurities, which encompasses having no food to eat, but is the technical definition is a lot broader than that. So if you were to guess, how would you define food insecurities? Yeah, so it would include not only not having access to food, but not having stable sources of food, not knowing where a meal might come from, having to miss or skip a meal in a particular time. And so it's a little bit more broad that folks can also come in and out of being food secure depending on their circumstances. It's not sort of a constant state of being. Yeah, it encompasses the mental aspect as well of not having enough food to eat, not just physically, I'm starving every day, right? So as we'll see in a little bit. So food security and insecurity is defined by the Food Security Supplement of the Census Bureau's current population survey, which specifically is defined by people's response to items on that survey. And it may be a little bit weird for folks outside of public health to wrap around the concept that a definition of something is based on a very, very particular survey. But this is not uncommon in public health, I think. Right. Well, and I think it's a feedback loop, right? So we developed some measures to ask people about food insecurity, sort of develop this index or scale. And then we use those responses to define food insecurity. And then based on those responses, we might also refine the scale if we hear a, a certain kind of response from folks, either qualitative or quantitative responses, we might then change the scale. So this is pretty common because it's sort of being food insecure. We can define it based on a scale, but it's a construct that can be hard to measure. It's like your intelligence or your mental health. Yeah. It's not like yes, no, black, white. It's based on a a bunch of factors. And so it's important that we recognize that these scales are used to help us understand a construct that we might not be able to directly measure. Yeah. And also it's it's very subjective, like you said. And when it becomes subjective like that, it's really hard for any group of people to be like, this is how we define this loose definition, this descriptive definition is how we define food insecurity. They kind of need to have something that's like very concrete, which is why the technical definition of food insecurity is people response to this specific survey, at least in the United States. So some questions include, I worried whether our food will run out before we got money to buy more, right? So this is, again, it's so subjective, but I guess that's kind of the idea with food insecurity, that it, there's some subjective components to it, not just literally do you not have food? Right, because food insecurity could mean something different to you than it does 
to me. It's again, getting at that construct of what this means. And so you mentioned the mental or sort of psychological elements to food insecurity and that worry, that sense of worry is important in people feeling like they have enough food or not. Okay. Tangent time. (laughs) Okay. We both love to cook. Love it. Love it. So much. Are you a keep the fridge full type of person or keep the fridge empty type of person? It's a great question. So when I was single, I was keep the fridge empty kind of person. Uh I would only buy what I needed and I wouldn't have additional things. I honestly could not comprehend how people would have a full fridge all of the time. And now? Now that I am married (laughs) and I have two, you know, growing children, (laughs) small adults uh, who consume a ton of food, two high schoolers, we often are closer to the fridge full situation. But that's mostly because we just like I'm constantly buying groceries because everybody is just eating all of the food. Yeah, I'm definitely keep the fridge full. And I don't know, I feel like when you cook on a very regular basis, there are just some times where you want to say, oh, let me grab this thing. Well, I think the important balance there is keeping the fridge the right amount of full for you and and your situation. Not you, but the broad you. (laughs) If if someone has a very full fridge, but they're constantly throwing food away. Yeah, that's bad too. Like that waste is, it just, I hate throwing food away. Perfectly good food going into the trash makes me really upset. Even worse than that, perfectly good food that's not used really bothers me, which is why like food waste just gets me feeling some kind of way. And I'm going to stop now because otherwise (laughs) I'm going to get on a soapbox of food waste and then I'm going to get really upset. Well, save this energy because part of today's episode (laughs) is about food waste and we'll revisit that after we talk about food insecurities. And you'll see why. You'll see why I've staggered the progress of this show that way. So that's one item. Another item is, do you or other adults in your household ever cut the size of your meals or skip meals because there wasn't enough money or food? And then another question might be, do you ever cut the size of any children's meal because there wasn't enough money or food? And did any of the children ever not eat for a whole day because there just wasn't enough money for food? So these are Again, subjective items, just items on a survey. And then people categorize how food secure you are based on how many items of the survey that you mark yes to, essentially. Yeah, I just want to clarify one thing. So whether you cut your portion size or whether you skip a meal, I would say are less subjective than the other questions. And so I think this scale is a combination of some objective, like did you skip a meal? Yes, no. Sort of you could, that's something you could observe or measure versus do you worry about something being a little bit more subjective and personal? So it's definitely a mix. And certainly I didn't go through all the items, but this is sort of the things that they will be asking. So how do we define food insecure? So there's three levels of food insecurity. There is marginal food secure. So some members reported anxiety about food sufficiency or shortages of food in the house, but there was no indication of change in diet or food intake. So this is one to two items on the list. And basically this indicates that while you may not change your actual eating behavior, this is something that's weighing on people's mind in the household. So that's marginal food secure. So this is kind of what you talked about. This is the subjective aspect of things. And then the other two, low food secure, at least some household members reported reducing quality, variety, or desirability of diet, but not necessarily reduce food intake. So kind of a subjective thing, but this is basically you're still taking in the amount of food that you want to, but the type of food has changed. Or the quality or um, nutrient richness of that food might change. Yeah. And we talked about this in the food desert and food swamp episode, which is when you don't have a lot of money to spend, type of food that you pick 
is dramatically different than the type of food that you pick when you do have money to spend. And the last category, very low food secure. One or more household member reported multiple indications of disruptive eating patterns and reduced food intake. So this is, I guess, the classical understanding of of what someone may have in mind when they say someone is food insecure. So they actually have disruptive patterns of eating. Yeah, I think when I was a kid, we didn't talk about food security or insecurity. We talked about, you know, kids going hungry and not having enough to eat. And it was always a an interesting conversation to listen to adults talk about at that time because it was framed by a lot of the adults that I would hear talking about this as like a personal failing of the adults that they didn't do right by their kids. And so their kids were going hungry and we just needed to give them more food, like the kids more food without recognizing that the parents may also be experiencing that same food insecurity. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, food insecurity is a reflection of poverty. But like what you said, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, which is why it's important to capture this concept independently of poverty, because it takes into consideration like food desert and food swamp, right? So are you in a place where it's literally hard for you to get nutritious food? Are you in a place where there are just way more options for unhealthy foods and it's easier to access those food than perhaps a grocery store? Are there other things that you think food insecurity well, captures that there's poverty an, itself there's an doesn't? interplay between between these things, which again, throwing back to our prior episodes on food deserts and food swamps, but we also have seen, we know from kids in particular, if you are food insecure, you're sort of not getting enough nutrients. It can be hard for you to do well in school. It can be hard to sort of function in a whole variety of ways. And so this interplay, I think, is so important because if you are food insecure, that can I don't want to say like cause you to have harder issues with sort of in poverty, but it, anyway, it can be a sort of a cyclical thing that they can, or a bi-directional arrow maybe is a more, a better way to say it, that these can influence each other and influencing one may or may not influence the other, right? If you just address poverty, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody is going to no longer be food insecure because of all those environmental pieces, right? And it's also, I think, a more visceral depiction of what poverty is, because I think to a lot of people, poverty is such a general and vague and nebulous concept that they have never encountered themselves personally. But food insecure is something that people understand. People who know me know I am like one of the worst people on the planet for names. Like I'm just embarrassingly bad. And so not that this person has any idea who I am or that I've ever talked about them, but I need to send out an apology to the universe because every time I talk about the book Cast, I've pretty much every time gotten Isabel Wilkerson's name wrong. I keep calling her Isabella. It's Isabel oh, no. Wilkerson. So I wanted to clarify that, you know, as I've said before, I'm reading this book and you sort of mentioned poverty in these pieces and the way we portray things in the media, I think really impacts our policy decisions. So she talks a lot about the distribution of sort of racial and ethnic groups in poverty or in, you know, whatever sort of social condition that we're thinking about. And we portray poor people or people in poverty almost exclusively as black. And so people tend to think that black Americans make up a really large proportion of folks in poverty, but which is not true, <laughs> right? That's not the case. And so not only do we not have a good sense of sort of what it means to be in poverty, right? We talked previously about the federal poverty line and those things, but we have a, a very skewed perception of who then falls into that bucket. Yeah. So I think food insecurity, it's important to measure this as an independent measure 
metaphor, exactly what you're talking about. It gives us just another perspective to analyze this issue. And as you know, in public health, we want multiple layers, multiple perspective to analyze the same issue. So uh, I'm not going to go on this tangent for too long because it's not really super important to what we're about to talk about. But there's actually a huge, huge is a strong word. There's actually a small... Oh, you went from huge to small. That's okay. <laughs> There's actually change. a small scandal is the wrong word. There's a small like controversy about how many kids go hungry in America. So you sort of mentioned this, like when I go get my school lunches in elementary school, I often see posters of like school lunches are really important for kids. Like, did you know how many American kids go hungry every month? So there's a small controversy because those posters often have numbers like one in three or one in five American kids go hungry every month. And if you really think about it, that's a lot of kids. And so they dug into how they defined kids going hungry once a month. And it turns out that they have essentially inflated that numbers. So we talked about how marginal food secure, low food secure, and very low food secure, there's different definitions of them. And they, I, th- I think what they did is that they include anyone who's uh, answered any items on this survey as kids going hungry a month, which is not like research academically and research speaking is not exactly bona fide to make that claim. But I guess they have a good mission. Well, and I think hearkening back to a little bit earlier in the episode when we were talking about defining a construct and and when I was a kid, we yeah, we heard about kids going hungry. But what does it mean? What does going hungry mean? Yeah, it's so it's so vague. It's a very vague statement. And so there's been an important and necessary shift towards the specificity of food insecurity in these different levels and really trying to understand where folks are. But again, when we're thinking about public health, one of the core tenets is sort of problem definition. You have to appropriately and accurately define the problem so that everybody knows what you're talking about. And, you know, sometimes folks will use statistics or other things to to communicate an issue being, I'm in no way saying kids should go hungry ever. Yeah, that's not our stance, listeners. Right. We just but want to make that clear. If we're going to make a statement, we need to use appropriate and accurate information. But people will sometimes pick the statistic, regardless of your perspective, pick the statistic that helps you with your mission or, or to make your point. Yeah. So let's go through some actual numbers that, according to the survey, not inflated ones. So. food insecure household and food insecure encompasses low food security and very low. So we're not counting marginal food secure. So that category is not included in this 14.8%. Numbers are a tricky thing. So when you think 14.8%, you're like, oh, okay, that's not, that's 38 million people. (laughs) That's a lot of people. And I think it's important to talk about how many people are in those households, not just like the percentage of the household, because I think it'll paint a, a different picture when you use percentages. Yeah. I think one of the last times I was looking at the number of US households for a project, it was like 128 million households. It's probably more than that at this point. But, you know, we have 300 and something million people. So it's not just a bunch of single people households. We have some households have one, some households have more than that. So it's important, as you said, to look at the the people behind the household number. I mean, that's just important anyway. Like we should always be keeping in mind that numbers and data and statistics, those are people, you know, that are being impacted by an issue. Not just number. So 38.3 million people living in food insecure households, 9.4 million adults in households of very low food security, which is to remind everyone, they have changed their diet or their food intake based on their current economic situation. And amongst that 38 million, 6.1 million children in food insecure 
and 584,000 in very low food security. So again, that's a lot of people, right? Like we, if we think about percentages, they're like, oh, that's like 1%, 2%. But you have to understand that that's because we are a very big country. Low percentages still means like more than half a million children in very low food security. They're literally not taking in uh, the amount of food that they should be taking in. Right. And I think we've talked about this previously, but with COVID and the school shutdowns, oh yeah, schools were having to figure out ways to still get food to these kids because unfortunately for a you know not insubstantial proportion of kids in the U.S., the school can be a main source of, of food, food, whether yeah. it's breakfast and lunch or some schools have food pantries where families can access resources. I know the county that my kids are in, all of the kids get free breakfast every morning. You get milk and different pieces, which is, I think, really smart That way, nobody gets singled out. Everybody has access to something. And it's a good way to start the morning. Yeah, because you don't, you really don't want to be, I don't know, my school did this where they have a separate area for people who need free food. And I just feel like that's just a weird, like it's very stigmatizing for a kid to like, you need to go into a separate line to get food. That would be very stigmatizing. Yeah. yeah. So I've always found that to be very problematic. But thankfully, I guess your at least your school is not doing that. So good. So um. Is this spread out equitably? Of course not. No, absolutely not. Regular listeners to this show, that's kind of been a theme with most of the problems that we talk about. Of course, it's not spread out equitably. You can pretty much guess how this is spread out. Like, obviously, we make disinvestments in certain neighborhoods. And because school districts are often funded by the neighborhoods that they are in, right, this is not an equitable spread. Uh, Now, let's talk about the health effect of food insecure. So, obviously, there's a ton of health effect when you intake food that is actually not nutritious or you just intake less food than you should there are obviously health effects with that but it's also very hard to measure i mean measuring health effect at a population level has always been a struggle in public health because you know what survey do you use where do you get those data but researchers have done a lot in this area to figure out if there's any correlation between negative health effects and food insecure and obviously they found a lot of connections so diabetes being one of them for adults, but also, I mean, I actually don't want to talk too much about the physical aspect. The physical aspect is things that people could, I think, anticipate, you know, diabetes, heart disease, you know, being overweight or, you know, just those are things that you can anticipate what the negative health effects of those. I actually want to focus on the mental aspects of food insecurity. So I do want to say one thing before we move on to the mental aspect. I think we may have mentioned this previously, but we would be remiss if we didn't say it now, which is sort of the paradox of being sort of food insecure, but over a healthy weight. And that comes down to, again, something we've talked about, which is the calorie dense foods that are not nutrient rich. And so folks who are consuming these kinds of calorie dense foods, they don't fill you up in the same way. They're not providing your body with what you need. And they're often high in sodium and sugar and other sort of processed pieces, fats. And so you end up um, overweight, even though you are undernourished. And that is a really important thing to keep in mind. And being overweight can also cause some mental and psychological distress, bullying, and those kinds of things. So I I think there is an important note there. Yes, that is an important note. So the physical effects on adults, you know, things like hypertension from the sodium intake and diabetes from the sugar intake, those are pretty, pretty easy to associate. Children, because they are, they tend to be, they don't tend to be growing. They are growing because they're children. Um, Because children are growing, their health effects on them is actually even more pronounced. So you get things like anemia, 
anemia or cognitive development issues, bone issues if it's really severe. Also, if it's a pregnant woman that's not getting enough calories and nutrients, uh, they may cause you know things in utero that might be an issue. So folks have realized that this is an important consideration, right? Having enough food and resources for women, infants, and children. And so they have this WIC program, which is part of SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, that ensures that pregnant women and their kids can get things like milk and eggs and other healthy food options. Yes. And that's very important. And we'll do an entire episode about snaps and whips in the future. So stay tuned for that. Snap and whip. Oh, did I say whip? <laughs> well, you said whips. <laughs> Snap and wick. <laughs> Um, but I want to focus on the, the mental aspect of things because what research has found is that not only are these physical health effects, which is, you know, we can make that connection very quickly, but adults and children, especially children who are in food insecure household, they report higher levels of behavioral problems, depression, suicide ideations, anxiety, and just poor mental health in general. And I think that's something that's not to be discounted because mental stress, as we mentioned in our previous episodes, and we will in future episodes, those add up to physical manifestation of issues. And I think there are few things more discouraging than opening a fridge and seeing an empty fridge because it's an unapologetic reminder of your situation. Yeah, I really appreciate you raising those psychological and even social impacts of food insecurity, because as you said, a lot of folks may know or have heard of some of the physical aspects. But when we think about our kids and the stress that we're putting on kids, it's then not really reasonable to expect them to be excelling in school or work or whatever it is that they're trying to do yeah. uh, because we we have not set them up nutritionally with everything they need to be successful. This is a throwback to the pink tax. Uh, we talked about how there's something that's tax exempt. Do you remember this? Yes, of course. So there is this thing called sales tax that I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are very familiar with. And the government, state and federal government, well, actually just state, I think state governments, depending on where you live, have decided that there are certain things that are too important to tax. Groceries being one of them. However- But not for every state. <laughs> not all states. <laughs> so can you guess what are some states that- Groceries are taxed at the full sales tax. Uh, so, yes, because we were doing a comparison for this, um, looking at some other things that were tax exempt. And so some of the states that are not tax exempt are places like Alabama, Missouri, I think Tennessee and Mississippi are some of the ones that are... Yes, so there's two levels. There are some states have partial sales tax, some states have full sales tax. So for example, Mississippi, Alabama, Oklahoma, Kansas, South Dakota, Idaho, and Hawaii, they have full sales tax on groceries. So their groceries are essentially items that you buy at a store where sales tax are added on. Um, Missouri, Illinois, Arkansas, Tennessee, Virginia, and Utah, they have partial sales tax. So there are states, a handful of states where groceries you have sales tax added on to groceries, which I think we discussed in the pink tax episode is really not something that you want to tax. You don't really want to tax a necessity because you're essentially just adding more financial burden on people who are already financially strained. And it may not make a difference to someone who's making six figures, but when you're making at or below the federal poverty level, that sales tax could be the difference of, do I buy this item or not? And yeah, there's a handful of states where groceries are still taxed either partially or fully. 
And so now we are going to, you remember that soapbox that you got back off of yeah. uh, in the beginning? So I want you to get back on that soapbox okay? because now we're going to talk about food waste in America. So we're not going to spend too much time on this, but I just want to rattle off a few statistics. Every year, 40% of all food in America is wasted. So this is accounting for 40%. That's like almost half is wasted. So this is accounting for things that go bad in the grocery store that they have to toss, things that people consume partially and have to toss. This also includes uh, things that people buy and sits in the fridge and gets bad and have to toss. This also includes um, uh, restaurant waste. So it is a broad category, but literally 40% of the food that America produces does not end up in people's stomachs. I wish people could see my face right now because when you said 40%, I cringe. <laughs> physically cringed and my heart let out this little, like, why? Because they were, right. So I think perhaps where you're going with this is that the issue of food insecurity in the United States, despite what we might hear to the contrary, mm-hmm. is likely not due in large part to us not having enough food. Correct. We have plenty of food. We have plenty of food. And I think we talked about this in in one of the episodes previously where, didn't we talk about like a bunch of milk jugs being dumped out during COVID? And and I think we, I had maybe mentioned something about some kind of animal, either a pig or a cow, like they had to slaughter a bunch of them because they didn't have a market because like either the, the manufacturing warehouse wasn't working or people weren't buying groceries, whatever. But it just, like, all of that milk... Could have done something with it, come on. It could have gone to somebody. It just makes me sad. I know, and it's so sad that we live in a society where we would much rather throw food away than give it away for free, which boggles my mind, like, why we live in a society like this. Well, because, you know, we're paying for it twice then, right, when we throw it away? Because we're paying... To dispose of it in a landfill, hopefully it's being composted, but probably not in most places. Um, So we're paying to produce it, and then we're paying to throw it away, as opposed to paying to distribute it to people, so that they could eat it it to people. And this is a theme that we brought up in the housing episode, which you also brought up with your comments. Food insecurity is not—it's not a scarcity issue strictly. So a lot of people, and uh, I, I will leave it up to your imagination what I mean when I say people, they paint the world in a picture of like, there's not enough food to eat. So I'm going to make sure that I eat and I don't care whether other people like, no, there's there's enough food to eat. There's, there's actually plenty of food to eat. It's just that we have prioritized certain things over others. And therefore, a lot of the food that we produce, 40% of food, which is 108 billion pounds of food every year is thrown away while we have like millions of people in food insecure households. So to wrap up this episode, uh, we want to reiterate that Food insecurity is a real issue in this country. And the second point that we want to emphasize is that we throw a lot of food away. And this is an issue that, dare I say it, doesn't need to be an issue. If we could just reshift our moral framings a little to be like, hey, maybe don't throw perfectly good food away. Maybe there's some people in this country that could need and appreciate that free resource. Yeah, we talk all the time about sort of show us how you spend your money and we'll tell you what your priorities are, right? I'm paraphrasing probably not well that quote that folks are familiar with. But this, again, just to put a pin in the point I made earlier about we're paying to produce this. Sometimes we're paying people to produce it, right? Like we're subsidizing the production of something. And then when we have too much of it, we're paying to throw it away as opposed to paying to distribute it to folks. And that just, it is 
a reflection of we blame individuals for their inability to succeed, whatever that success is, for their individual failings as opposed to recognizing the systems and environments that people are in that make it hard for them to succeed or have access to things. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page. You can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>